Hey, parents and little adventurers. Ever wondered where hot dogs come from? Dive into a world of wonder with the new children's book about cellular agriculture. Cellular agriculture? What's that? It's the science behind tomorrow's foods. Discover the journey of a family barbecue in a way that's fun, educational, and downright tasty. Grab your copy of Where Do Hot Dogs Come From? on Amazon today. Yum! The future sounds so delicious. Curious for more? Visit www.hotdog.fyi. Happy reading! Thanks for tuning in to the Cultured Meat and Future Food Podcast. This show is intended for anyone interested in cultured meat and food technologies. I'm excited to have Dan Lining on this episode, where we talk about the perception of cultured meat and the science behind it. Thanks for joining us for the Cultured Meat and Future Food podcast. Imagine a world in which we would not need animals for our meat, where we can still enjoy a steak without harming a single animal. During his degree in molecular biology, Dan Lining came across the Cultured Meat Project at the University of Maastricht in the Netherlands, and he immediately felt compelled to participate. Now, he is an expert in the field, in which he's performed research under Professor Mark Post, the professor that led the project to create the first laboratory-grown hamburger. Dan then went on to help New York-based nonprofit New Harvest accelerate their research program. Now, back in the Netherlands, he's bringing cultured meat into reality. Dan, I'd like to welcome you to the Cultured Meat and Future Food podcast. Hi, Alex. Thank you for having me. Excited to be on. Dan, tell us about your current role. Currently, I'm back in the Netherlands trying to put cultured meat back on the science agenda in academic research, involving government in development, and also starting to dabble in the idea of starting a venture in this uh, field. In layman's terms, or really better said is explain it like I'm five, what is cultured meat? Well, cultured meat is the same meat as you normally would buy in a store, but it's made from the cells of an animal. So when you have an animal, it consists of many, many types of different cells, but we just eat the muscle cells from these animals. So instead of growing an entire cow and just then afterwards killing it, we can just grow the muscle parts that we need under uncontrolled environment, which we feed it just normal stuff that a cow would eat, only broken down in very small pieces. And eventually these cells will eat this up and form new parts of meat, which actually we can eat afterwards when they have matured. And this is what lab-grown meat is, just the cells from an animal grown in controlled conditions and then afterwards made into muscle ready to eat. Uh, to expand on that, about how long does it take to you know, take the, these cells and turn them into you know, a burger or a meatball, for example? Well, for the first hamburger that was made here, so here in the Netherlands, I think three months, it, it took three months to actually create the first hamburger. But hopefully in the future, we can do it as much faster because the technology was more of a proof of concept. And uh, of course, we're looking into speeding the process up uh, into much shorter periods. Have you personally ever eaten cultured meat? No, unfortunately, the first cultured meat hamburger was priced uh, about 250,000 euros. Of course, that is to see how you could calculate the amount, what it costs, because is there included uh, 
labor costs and rent, but it, it comes close to that number. And of course, at the time that I was working on it, I didn't have the money actually to uh, buy a piece of it. It was actually eaten by two food critics at a talk show in London where a chef prepared the first hamburger and afterwards those two people got to f have a taste of it. And they were actually quite nice, uh, quite positive about the entire ordeal. They, th uh, they said that it tasted quite like meat, but it lacked a little bit of flavor to it, a bit of a fatty flavor to it. And that's because in the first hamburger, we only used muscle cells. So there were no fat cells used in uh, the first cultured meat hamburger. And of course, this is a thing that probably needs to be included to give people the real experience of eating a piece of meat. I think I did see a video with the two food critic critics uh, eating that, um, but that was maybe, I want to say like five, five or so years ago. Uh, have we created more of these cultured meat burgers since then? Um, not the same way. The first hamburger was actually made to show us that this is a technology that will be possible in the future, but not one, the technology that was used, not one to be used at larger scale. So we're currently developing the technology to actually make these hamburgers sustainably and completely animal free. And this is quite hard because it's cell biology and biology doesn't always uh, work the way we think it will work. And that's why we're still involved in a lot of research, a lot of fundamental research, figuring out what the best method is to do this at scale. So there has been uh, several prototypes from other companies, but so far nobody has actually produced large amounts of cultured meat for uh, more people to try. At what point did you realize you wanted to start working on cultured meat? Well, this is actually a quite an interesting story. Uh, I was with some friends in a pub and they're all scientists like me in training. And we were thinking about what we wanted to do with our future. And at the time, we are very excited by a TED talk by Antoni Atala, and he uh, presented on stage a 3D printed kidney. And we were all super excited about this because we are realizing that we could be part of this entire movement and that we are being trained for this type of work. So we are figuring out how we, if we wanted to get in tissue engineering. And so we started into doing research about which organs are being done the most. And that's basically our skin and also uh, a little bit of muscle, because muscle is comparative to other organs, quite easy to make. It doesn't have a very uh, high hierarchical structure, so it's quite straightforward. And when I was researching this, I came across the project that was instigated by Mark Post in Maastricht, and then it all fell together for me. It all clicked. Up, it all clicked. I thought, well, if we can grow pieces of tissue for humans to implant inside of them, why wouldn't be able to use uh, cells from another animal and create muscle tissue that people can eat? What would be the difference? Uh, and since then, I actually felt like my, it was my calling. And I contacted Mark Post and I already had experienced uh, tissue engineering in another university. And I told him that I was experienced in this and if I wondered if I could help. And three weeks later, I actually was in Maastricht in the lab pipetting on the cultured meat project. And since then, I uh, haven't been able to stop doing it because it felt like the right thing to do with my knowledge and my education. So then afterwards, I went to New York to assist New Harvest, which is a nonprofit organization that funds academic research. 
research in this field because unfortunately the government isn't really funding anything of this. It's There's a gap between technology readiness and government subsidies which has caused the academic research in this field to actually be stalled. And New Harvest, they stepped in to actually try to fund academic research which everybody can use and a lot more people can uh, work on so that there's a accumulative knowledge about this field instead of just a couple of companies trying to fix this. They're trying to make it more broadly open and a more acceptable science for people to participate in. And I helped forming their roadmap and I instigated a couple of research projects. But then afterwards I had to leave the country because my visa ran out. Uh, and then uh, I returned back to the Netherlands. And what I noticed when I came back is that I haven't heard from Mark Post in a while. And I didn't see much happening over there. So I thought to myself, well, maybe it's time for me to start doing stuff for myself. And then it's when I uh, started the Cultured Meat Foundation, which is also a non-profit to see if I can do some academic research here back in Europe, because at the moment there isn't any. Uh, and that's going pretty well. It's slow because government, unfortunately, is not as fast with these types of uh, things. So we're getting there, but it takes some time. And in the meanwhile, I can give you a bit of a scoop that we're actually starting to collaborate with a British university. and thinking about starting a company as well in this uh, in this field based on a uh, technology which they developed. Expanding on what you were saying about funding from the government, what are some other major blockers within the cultured meat industry? Well, I, I actually can't believe that there are any. From multiple perspectives, uh, it, is, it, make to it makes total sense to do this. Uh, I think by now a lot of people have heard about the terrible conditions that animals are living in and what impact it has, the negative impact it has on our environment. So ethically and morally, there aren't really any uh, downsides to this. And I truly believe that it has to be part of the future if we're going to keep on consuming meat the way we do right now. And unfortunately, we haven't seen any uh, reduction uh, in the population of eating meat. China has actually increased their meat consumption quite a lot, and this is a billion people. So we have to do everything. It's just, it is not just cultured meat. It's also insect-based, it's also plant-based, and it's also eating less meat. And those together will actually will diversify the palate of, for people to choose from which type of protein they want to consume. And we have seen from other players in the field, uh, Tyson recently invested in Memphis Meats, a San Francisco-based cultured meat startup. And more players or more uh, meat companies are actually seeing the value of this technology in the long run. And they don't believe, that, they don't think that they will eventually will be, uh, will be gone from the, from the meat market, but they will serve a different part of the population. So next to uh, lacking finance, I don't think there is a real downside or any blockers maybe if you're looking at a regulatory part because it it falls in between so much unknown territory because it is not really GMO because there is no O, there's no organism that we're trying to do. So the, the food administration, the FDA in America and the European uh, Commission of, for Food Safety, they're having trouble figuring out where to classify this. And of course, we need to also come up with uh, results to show that this is actually safe, which of course there's no reason uh, to think it isn't because it actually is the same as meat. But still, of course, since it is a novel food, we need to prove that by doing so uh, tests on it and coming up with the data. And for the rest, I actually, I, c I can't really think of any blockers uh, except for the regulatory and the financial part. What are the health implications of lab-grown meat? What comparisons can we make between lab-grown meat and the government-certified meat that we see currently being sold in stores? 
Well, this is a little bit based on specula speculation because we haven't actually made a sustainable cultured meat product that everybody can eat. So there is, we just need to compare what the possibilities are and the possibilities are, are endless. And that's, that's why I'm so excited about this new techno about this technology, because if you look at the potential, what it could bring to people for health benefits, it is massive. Um, for example, we could actually customize the nutrient composition of the meat by feeding the cells specific types of nutrients, which, for example, the population in the Netherlands quite lack, is vitamin D. In December, there was they did a calculation that we have six hours of direct sunlight in this country, which is, is quite little, I can, t I can tell you, and it's been getting to me. But if you would add some extra vitamin D to your meat and in this way feed the population this shortcoming in vitamins, you can actually solve a lot of health problems. And there's a funny comparison to this because uh, they did the same thing with salt. They added iodide to salt to prevent crop, which is a, a thyroid disease of manifesting in the population because people were getting too little iodide. And by putting it in the salt, people would get enough of it to prevent this disease. And we could actually do the same thing uh, with meat. There are more examples of this, like, the, for example, of golden rice, where people uh, put uh, vitamin A into rice to supply the Asian population with extra vitamin A for their, uh, for, to, com uh, to help their eyesight be better. So in this way, we can really customize this food product, which apparently a lot of people eat, to be more health beneficial than just um, the nutrient intake. And of course, after that, after you can supplement people with the shortcomings in nutrients they have, you can also try to figure out if you could steer the entire process, which would have less harmful fats in it and more uh, good fats in it, which of course has uh, benefits for your vascular diseases. So there, there's lots of possibilities that people can actually uh, use and think about that uh, cultured meat, uh, because of the process, would be open to. We've been using the term cultured meat, uh, you know, sometimes it's considered lab-grown meat. What is the best term to describe this, and what do you think it will be called once it's actually on the market? Um, this is actually kind of a personal question, I think, because some, for some people, uh, clean meat resonates better. For some people, cultured meat resonates better. I've even have heard the term franken-meat, and uh, I, I really stopped... Um, caring about this because I really think it's a personal choice what makes you feel better and of course there should be some rhetoric control here that nobody's gonna call it Frankenburgers of course that will be bad but between the other terms I don't think that there's really one that's better than the other and with me cultured resonates better because it makes more sense for me from a scientific perspective because culturing cells is uh, the action you do to actually grow these cells so from a science perspective it makes more sense and I, I just dislike the term clean meat because it makes me think if you go to a supermarket and you would ask to a clerk saying you know where the clean meat products are that you will be pointing into the laundry aisle so I don't think that <laughs> that resonates with me <laughs> quite yeah it doesn't really go quite well for me so it's either you you it's either for everybody to make up their own mind about it uh either clean or cultured it doesn't really matter to me what you call it as long as i just can call it whatever i want and when do you predict that we'd be able to affordably purchase the cultured meat in the supermarket well it's not really a matter of time it's a matter of finance and time and people uh persons who are working on it at the moment and i truly think 
that there are too little people working on and there's too little funding going to this. But over time, I think that will change. So I think when time passes, it will come increasingly closer. And hopefully, I truly hope this, that it will come sooner than later. But I would say five to 10 years. But of course, that is so vague that uh, it doesn't really, it doesn't have any value. The, mo the, value that, the real value is in the progress that we make, that you can really uh, see how far we have come and what achievements have been made. And if there are new technologies being invented to actually facilitate some of the problems which are residing in cultured meat, that's our, there's our true metrics you can look at and see uh, how far we are going in the process. So saying from my personal perspective, saying, oh, it's five to 10 years. In five to 10 years, it could also still be five to 10 years. So it's quite hard actually to say this. But of course, I hoped it to be sooner than later. And tell us a little bit about the Cultured Meat Foundation. Well, I, I started this because I, I, I looked for a starting point to do something. And uh, at the time I was by myself here in the Netherlands and I didn't see any other organizations in Europe that are pushing this agenda. So I thought this would, make, this would be a nice starting point to find some money to actually do some cultured meat research. So it's very easy actually to start a foundation. It's not quite hard. You just need to write your statutes pretty well and find two other people which, which joined me. And then we are starting to talking to government, seeing if we could find the routes which in gov within government to figure out uh, which people would actually have power over decision-making and which person I had to convince. Uh, that this is a endeavor worth financing. Furthermore, I've also uh, done some innovation contests, telling what we've already been done and showing the potentials, quite similar to the talk that we're having right now, trying to convince people this is uh, really a, a future project that, that can actually make the world a lot better. And from there on, I've been slowly talking to more people and gaining some more traction until eventually more people get to, got aware of it. Uh, more scientists are actually subscribing to it, saying, well, this is indeed a, a feasible project. And we're slowly growing from there and uh, more people are, are f uh, finding us on the internet and more people are getting excited. On a daily basis, I get students emails saying, oh, how can I participate in this? Because I really see the potential of this and I really want to steer my career to be relevant in this. And what I do is I get on calls with them and give them advice uh, like uh, the, the method that I did. Uh, advise companies and how the landscape uh, looks like at the moment. Uh, so it's it's really more of connecting and networking and trying to slowly gain traction. Uh, and that's where we are right now. Aside from saving animals and consuming healthier food, how else can cultured meat make an impact? Well, a, a very personal passion of mine is also space. And of course, recently, uh, with the latest Falcon Heavy launch by Elon Musk, it has become more and more exciting to me to actually see uh, people getting more into space travel these days. And I truly think that this technology can also be used uh, to colonize uh, outer space because it's, I, I actually cannot imagine that once we are at the point that we are sending people to another planet, that we would strap a cow to a rocket and fire it up else into space because that will be very inefficient. But what you can do is shoot with you a small vial of muscle stem cells, which you then can grow into large amount of muscle in outer space. And you should only not, not re you should realize that this technology is not for just farm animals. It's not only cows, sheep, can and pig, but also tuna and salmon and other fishes can be uh, grown in the same manner with cultured meat. So it's not only that uh, we save the planet by reducing the 
harmful effects that animal farming has on this planet, but also to be ecologically responsible for the overfishing of uh, fisheries at tuna. Because when fish are gone, they're not coming back. We have around 1.5 billion cows in the world, and they're being kept, you know, we can breed them, but it's increasingly harder, and it's quite also quite hard to actually breed tuna, or actually farm tuna. So using this technology, I think, will also be a relief on fish. And then after, after that, you can even explore further, but then you can redefine actually what meat can be. And for example, you can take uh, muscle cells from a wagyu uh, beef cow, and you can combine them with the fat cells of a tuna fish. And then you have a new thing that nobody has ever experienced in their life. So gastronomy can also uh, largely benefit from this. It, it really opens up a real uh, new pathway towards food that we haven't been able to explore this far. What are the current criticisms, if any, against cultured meat? The most what I've heard uh, resides in gut feeling that people find it unnatural or that we're playing for God or that we are uh, doing some weird stuff with nature. But I would actually argue that this is the most natural thing that humans have done so far. Uh, what Wherever humans go, what they do is they take nature and they re-sculpt it into things that are far beyond natural and then would be useful for us. And that is, I think, more natural than anything else uh, if you look at the current trends in organic foods and that type of things. Creating something new from existing nature is more fundamentally natural than interbreeding species and saying, well, this is a natural, Chihuahua is a natural dog. That's so far from natural that uh, I can't believe that people are saying that cultured meat is unnatural. Uh, for the rest of the arguments that some scientists say that it's not feasible on large scale, um, but all, people have also been saying this from computers. A lot of people have been saying that in the, I think in the, the 80s that personal computers would never be in any everybody's home. But look at us now, there's a supercomputer in every pocket in there from every human being. So it basically comes to gut feelings and beliefs that, that have the argument, but it's not really funded in science or any factual uh, information. So that, I think, are the most common arguments that people bring up with. We have a question from one of our listeners. Michael is a father and educator in the Chicagoland area. He asks if cooking and seasoning of cultured meats will be different in any way. We don't think so. Like I said, we haven't been able to produce large amounts of quantities as a real product. But if you look at the fundamental things, what meat is made of and what cultured meat is made of, it's no difference. It's the same thing. So if you look at it under a microscope, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And of course, we're striving towards a product that also will be indistinguishable from one another. So if you would season it or, be or uh, fry it or do anything with it, it should act the same. But of course, we will only know once we have a real product here. And is it true that uh, it's lacking color when it comes out of the lab? For example, is it, you know, is it, is it not red? Well, the first cultured meat hamburger indeed wasn't red. Uh, the reason for that is it's hard. you need to exercise muscle cells to actually increase the protein content. 
And if there is no exercise in the cells, then the protein content is actually quite low. And there is a substance in your muscles, it's called myoglobin. And myoglobin is a uh, closely related protein to hemoglobin. And they actually have quite a similar function. Hemoglobin is the red coloring of your blood, which transports oxygen through your body. And myoglobin is a molecule that resides in your muscle, but also um, attracts oxygen to it. So if you need to take a fast sprint, First, the myoglobin will give up its oxygen before your blood can supply new parts of oxygen. And myoglobin is actually stimulated when, you're, of course, you're exercising. And that's why also your muscles increase when you're exercising. So we're actually looking into ways by maybe electrostimulation or maybe physical stimulation of the cells once they reach a certain uh, maturation, once they form muscle fibers, to increase the protein content, which will give them the color. So it's not similar, it's not like salmon. Salmon only gets uh, their color if they're eating specific types of shrimp. And if you're not feeding uh, salmon these types of shrimp, they will become gray. So that's why people doing salmon farming have to add coloring in the food to turn the salmon pink, else it will start uh, will uh, retain gray. And this is not the case in cultured meat. You can get in touch with Dan on LinkedIn and Twitter. Dan, is there anything else that our listeners should be on the lookout for, either updates on your end or the industry in general? Uh, for the industry in general, I actually can say because there are most of the things are happening in uh, America and uh, the companies are not releasing frequently their, their objectives. So we actually don't really know, uh, actually I don't really know what's going on over there, but hopefully they're making progress. Uh, for myself, we are close to actually starting something here in Europe and hopefully everything will turn out as we hope, but until we have actually signed some contracts, uh, I can't promise anything, but hopefully uh, we can and bring cultured meat closer to reality and closer to everybody's plate. Dan, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your story on the Cultured Meat and Future Food podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is your host, Alex, and we look forward to being with you on our next episode.